Now on the tee, it's Maddie and the Caddy. Here's Matt Barry and Michael Collins. You know, sometimes the Maddie and the Caddy patrons get a special bonus podcast. We and, love you that much. And that's what this is alongside the Caddy. Michael Collins. I am the Maddie. This is Maddie and the Caddy special Masters recap edition part two because today we give you the treat of Tiger's Caddy, Joe LaCava, kind enough to spend some time with us. And Caddy, look, we all know you were on tour as a Caddy for the better part of a decade, so this this means a lot to you. I'm curious uh, your connection with Joe and how far this goes back and just kind of your relationship with him. Well, this is where I got to just say thank you so much to, to Joe LaCava for doing this with us because I, I knew Joe Caddy and when he was still with Freddie Couples and um, just developed a really great relationship with the two of them. And then when I was becoming a caddy, Joe was one of the guys who I could ask questions to about why you do things the way that you do out on the golf course as a caddy. And there were a few guys that were not very nice. And Joe was one of the guys who was over the top nice to me and he didn't have to be. And that's just the kind of guy he is when he realized that, as a guy who was a comedian that I wasn't doing, I wasn't caddying for fun, that I actually respected what they did and how they did it. Um, he was one of the guys who really helped me. And through all that, we have really developed a great friendship and him and his wife and I are great friends on Facebook. So it meant a lot watching him win with Tiger at the Masters, and and I'll be the first one to admit, when Tiger hugged him on 18, man, I, there were tears coming down my face hard. You know what I love about LaCava that, that, that most people will realize after they listen to this interview? You couldn't have a more blue-collar, down-to-earth, oh, yep. beer-drinking guy <laughs> with a bigger celebrity on the planet. And that's what makes him great. He is on the bag for the number one draw in sport, and he couldn't be any more normal than he is. And I think that's why Tiger loves him so much is because no matter the moment, he's the same guy. He's the same guy no matter what, which other than being a Rangers and a Giants fan, I love that guy. Seriously, I do. I I love him like he's family. Joe LaCava, caddy to Tiger Woods joining us, and Joey – Look, there's so much to get to with this, but I want to start here. 18th green, Tiger over the putt. You're sitting there watching it. Describe that moment. Uh, incredible feeling. I mean, as people may or may not know, you know, I was fortunate to do it with Fred. He had a similar putt. He had a two-shot lead uh, back in 92. Um, you know, back then you're thinking, oh, this is going to happen a lot, and it hasn't. You know, a lot of wins in between, but no majors. So, Incredible feeling for me. Um, I think I was more pumped for Tiger than myself because I, I, people don't realize the amount of work that he's put in and the amount of time he's put in just to get back to be able to play just halfway decent golf. I mean, the guy works his butt off. Now he's got to work his butt off before every round and after every round. I was just so satisfied for him. He really wanted it so badly. I was just jacked for him. Yeah, and that, that's kind of a good follow-up there, Joey, because you are one of very – very few people on on the planet that know exactly what Tiger did go through to get to this point. Can you, as best you can, kind of describe what he has gone through to get back to where he is today? 
yeah, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things. Again, I'm not a doctor and stuff like that, but I know, you know, it was a pretty dark spot for a time there. I mean, he couldn't even get out of bed. He couldn't really function. Couldn't do stuff with the kids. Couldn't go to the soccer games. That kind of stuff. So life was pretty bleak at one time for him. Um, to to see him come full circle like this, and again, it wasn't one of those things where obviously the operation helped and did it, but there was a lot of work that he had to do physically and mentally to get back to where he is now. And like I said, I can't really describe how much he's worked at it, but, you know, he's got a great work ethic in everything that he does. So he took that, this as the same as him having to practice to get where he was. Now he had to do this just to get where he was physically. But at that moment, too, on 18, after that putt dropped, the first person he sees is you. You guys do, a, I mean, a hug that, you know me as a caddy, starts tearing up. He looked at you and said, we did it. We did it. So what does that mean to you? You know, it's a great feeling. Let's be honest with you. I mean, he doesn't need to say that. He could just give me a hug and say whatever. But, you know, he makes you feel like he certainly makes you feel like a part of the team. But even more so than that, you know, I developed a great relationship with Fed over the years. And I think Tiger and I are heading the same direction. I feel like we're best buddies. You know, I realize that I still work for the guy. He's the boss. And I get all that. And I have to do what I have to do as a caddy. But he doesn't treat you like a caddy. Like, you know, that's why I can do what I can do out there and say whatever I want to say because he's not going to come back at me. He's not going to get mad. He's not going to get upset. Do I make mistakes? Of course I do. But we have a relationship where we can do that and overcome it and get through it. And when when a guy makes you feel that good and a part of the team, it's an incredible feeling. And, uh, you know, all the players are great with their caddies. But just, there's just a little something special about Tiger, how he makes you feel like such a big part of the team and, and, and a buddy versus a caddy. As someone who is his friend and is one of his best friends, when did you use that relationship on Sunday as a friend and a caddy, perhaps in conversation with him? You know, we started off on the first team. I basically told him, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard this already, but I basically told him, I said, look, here's the deal. You know, I've been forced to be around for a few of your wins lately. I wasn't I wasn't around back in your heyday. But I can sense the fact that you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Let's go out there today. Let's be intense because that's that's how you become what you are, and that's the person you are, and that's how you're built. I get it. But let's be a little looser in the fact that, you know, let's go out there, not so much enjoy the round, but let's make sure that we're not so tight and put so much heat on yourself feeling like you need to win. I mean, there's not a play. I mean, obviously many players thought they could win Sunday, but there's not a player on the range. My guess is that didn't think Tiger was the guy to beat that day. And they all know that people can sense it. He knows that he knows the situation he's in. And I just want him to be a little more relaxed and not put so much heat on himself to get the job done. During the round, what was the most important conversation that you feel like you had with him? Um, you know, we, we went back and forth on number eight when he hits it right at the bunker. Um, we got a little grass behind it. And so, you know, three iron is not going to make great contact and we're going to be short, not a real difficult chip. Um, you know, and the yards call for a high cut in five wood. And if he hits that shot, there's a branch there. So now he's got to decide, all right, do I take my medicine here and hit it 10 or 15 yards short of the green, try to get up and down. And we discussed it, and you know, we made, I think, a decent decision. They decided to hit the five-wood. It came out a little tumbling and a little hot because he's trying to keep it low under the branch. We knew it was going to be long, but we knew that where the that was where the play was. 
And then Molinari at the time looks like, you know, we got to keep up with him. Now we're seven holes in and he's got the lead. And it's one of those things where he's in the fairway bunker. He lays up and he's got about a 15 footer. And sure enough, he makes a birdie, which that's his game. That's what he does. Right. And then Tiger, Tiger hit chip about 10, 12 feet right of the hole. Sure. A little good spot to be in, but a tricky putt. It was not an easy read. I think we read it right and he buried it, which was huge there. I think making four there was really big. And then, of course, you got to talk to me about the 12th hole. I mean, Molinari makes an amazing save on 10 and then makes a great par on 11. He's on the tee on 12. And I'm number one, just tell me about the 12th hole because the green on the flag didn't move, but we had seen so many guys hit shots that hit that wind and knock it down. you got to tell me about what that was like on a tee when you guys saw Molinari's ball go in the water. Well, I'll back up just a little bit. You know, we're coming down number 11, and we see that Poulter and Brooks are both dropping. So, you know, and at the time, it wasn't didn't seem that windy coming down number 11. But as you know, it swirls there, and you just never know exactly what it's doing. And those two guys, you know, I consider world-class players, and they're not going to miss hit many iron shots, certainly not with an 8 or 9 iron. So I know there's a little bit of a tricky wind up there because you just don't see two guys in the same group doing that. Um, and then I noticed where Webb Simpson's ball was over the green. So I'm thinking, okay, one guy maybe didn't get any win. These two guys happen to get win. So all that's going through my mind because once he's on 11 green, you know, my job as a caddy, unless he asks me to read the putt, is over on 11. So I'm trying to kind of figure out what's going on at number 12. Uh, so we get up to the tee, and it's nice that somebody else is going first because you can have a look at it. We've already discussed the numbers and the yardage. we got a little bit of a weight there, and we're already talking about hitting it left, and we've already, you know, got nine iron out, and that's what we're going to do. And we got a great game plan, and we're going to stick to it. And then when you see a guy hitting more club in front of you and hitting in the water, you know, right. the, I, I think there's going to a little, you know, some doubt's going to creep in, like, boy, do we have enough club? And I understand he didn't really quite catch it, and he was trying to go a little bit right and all that stuff. You know, we're not idiots. We know what's going on. But at the same time, Molinari hits it pretty darn solid. So Right. Um, and, I, and I said to Tiger, I said, you know, I said, look at the top of the trees. I just, I, I still liked what he was doing and what he had, but I wanted him to know, that there is some more left-to-right hurt wind up there because, like I said, the two guys before us hit it in the water and we just saw Molinari hit it in the water. He stuck to his game plan and just hit a solid nine-iron left. He probably hit it 10 feet left of where he was looking, maybe a little further left. But having seen, like I said, Molinari's you know, ball going over, he may even go a little further left. But as it worked out, as it turns out, it worked out great. So Molinari, Finau, both trip up. Kepka trips up right there at Amen Corner at the 12th. And, and you have your game plan coming in, but within a game, things change. How did your guys' approach change after the window was open after the 12th, um, if at all? No, no. You know, we start basically to the game plan. You know, once we got even there, um, you know, I had a big smile on my face on 13. Because now if you go through the holes there, you know there's – assuming you drive it well, you're going to have a lot of mid to short irons coming in. So this is right up Tiger's Alley. You know, he's going to have a mid-iron in the 13, a shortish iron in the 14, mid-iron in the 15, so on and so forth. And, again, if you hit the ball in the fairway, you're going to have some opportunities. And you also look at the scoreboard. Now you're seeing Shoffley, you're seeing Johnson at 12-under, and then Brooks turns around and makes an eagle on 13. So you know you still have to get after it, and you can't just can't worry about Molinar, even though at the time he looked like he might be the guy to beat at the turn. You, you you know you know what these guys are going to have into the greens because you know what you're going to have into the greens, and they're going to make some birdies, and that's what Augusta wants coming down the stretch. So it's one of those things where 
you know you, the job isn't done, but you also are now optimistic based on the fact that it's going to come down to iron play, and certainly it's going to come down to making some putts. But I like my chances with my guy knowing you know, his iron play against anyone else in the world. So it comes down to this then. When for you was the, holy shit, this is going to happen. When was that well, moment? Not until he knocked down the green on 18. Really? Well, you know, we got a two-shot. Here's the deal. We got a two-shot lead going up 17. Yeah. And I think that right. was that was the, the tee shot he hit on 17 was absolute money. It might have been the best tee shot he hit all week. That thing had like a two two yard cut and it was a BB. Smoke. And we get up there and he's he's past Tony Finau, so that tells you how good he hit it. <laughs> um, no, honestly, I mean, you know, you know yeah. how long Tony is. Yes. He's up there yeah. last. We're probably the first time all day. But he stepped up to the plate on a on a on a hole that's not been his favorite hole to drive on and absolutely bombed one and piped it. But again, you know, we can do the math as players and caddies. We know Brooks is playing well. We've seen the putts he's barely missing for Eagle on fifteen. I mean, he's in great shot in 16, but we know he's going to have opportunities on 17 and 18. So as far as I'm concerned, going up 17, I'm in my head, I'm thinking he's going to finish at a minimum 1,300. He's going to birdie one of these last two. For Brooks, it's a driver and a wedge to both holes. He's going to have two great looks, in my opinion, and that's exactly what ended up having. He had two great looks. Um, and again, once, he, once we saw him miss their birdie pot on 18, meaning Brooks, then I liked our chances, but until it's actually on the green, that's when you can kind of relax a little bit and take a breath. I thought because you kind of see the momentum, Joey, building, and he birdies 15, and then you guys are walking to 16, of which I thought was the shot of the tournament. What was that conversation as you leave the green on 15 and you sit the bag down on the par 3 16th? Uh, great question. We're on the tee, and he, and he says, you like a little cut 7 iron or you like a big 8 iron? And I'm thinking to myself, you know exactly what it is. Are you trying to make me feel nice here? <laughs> um, you know, part of the game here? I was never on seven iron. It was one of those things. If you cut it, you end up on the right side, and then you're, then, you know, you're, then you're begging for par. But at the same time, you know, 180 yards—that's a big eight iron for Tiger. You know, and he's got a he's got to draw it in there, which is the proper shot. But he's got to hit a power draw. I mean, he's got to get a little extra out of back in his stance to get it all the way back there. And he hit the most beautiful, you know, high draw eight iron of about eight yards, and hit, you know, as you saw the rest, hit it exactly where you needed to hit it. Just, you know. Again, people think it's not a hard shot because you got the funnel down there. I got news for you. When you're trying to win the win the Masters on Sunday, it's not that easy a shot. I mean, the guys making hole in ones are playing, you know, you know, ten, twelve groups in front of us. It's not that big a deal. But when you're trying to win the tournament, knowing the bunker and the waters are left, and you know if you leave it out to the right, it's a very difficult two putt. It's not that not that tough a shot. But I mean, at the same time, in those circumstances, it's harder than you think. So you're walking a sixteen. You know, he just stuck one high and tight. What were you? What are you guys talking about there as he approaches that putt to give him a two shot lead? I'll be honest with you, we're not discussing much. We know it's tight because it almost goes in the hole. We know it's below the hole, which is where you want it. Um, and 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 the crowd is going nuts. They're all standing and cr- clapping and going nuts. So you can't even have a conversation, even if you want to, because they're all up there on that bank and it's so loud down there. You couldn't talk if you wanted to. I was hoping it was a foot. I was a little bummed it was two feet. <laughs> Go, t- did you see Michael Phelps behind y'all on the 16th tee? No, I mean I, I didn't. You know, no. I mean, you're, you're, no. I mean, I'm not saying I'm grinding, but as a caddy, you know how it is. You caddy, you're looking down because you're looking at the marker and you're walking off your numbers. So you're not really looking at the crowd, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm paying attention to what the guys are doing in front of us. And then getting my number. I'm not even not even glancing in the crowd. All right. So you mentioned a second ago that it was so loud you couldn't hear it. I wonder from about 
13-14 on, it had to be just a back and forth of hearing roars in front of you and with your guys' grouping. What was that like, hearing this stuff all over the course, knowing now that there were probably five, six guys in contention? Well, that's the difference. Everybody on the golf course knows exactly what Tigers do because they know the roars. There's cheers and there's roars when other guys do well. It's not the same. So you don't know who's making it. Everybody knows a cheer when Tiger's making something. So they know where Tiger stands before they even get to the scoreboard. The great thing about Tiger's deal is, like, when he makes a birdie, like, on 13, you hear the clapping down there, and maybe, like, 10 seconds later, you hear it up on 18 because they posted it up there. Because <laughs> this is one of the few tournaments that, as you guys know, you can't have a phone, so nobody has any idea what's going on out there. So you hear a secondary chair 10 seconds later up at 18, and it's a great feeling because you know they're posting that number up there, which is pretty pretty sweet. Of all the roars all day, what was the loudest roar that you got to hear and be a part of on the course? And then after the round is over, what was it like hearing the chant? The chant's always great. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like you know, some chants are just better than others because, it, you know, it's like, Let's go, Tiger. You know, it just has that rhythm. Like, let's go, Rangers. Right. It has that rhythm. Of so course you use the Rangers. Well, of course. I got to go with that. But you know what I mean? It's just a great feeling, and we feed off the energy. Now, how can you not? And I don't know if it bothers the other guys that much, but to know that – I mean, they're not idiots. They know everyone's cheering for Tiger. They're not pulling against those other guys, but they know everyone's cheering for Tiger. So it's a great feeling. But I think, you know, when people stand up on 16 like that and hear the roars, it's amazing. Um, and you see the people stand up and stuff like that. It's, it's an amazing feeling. It's really awesome. When did you, after all of the celebration and the pomp and circumstance and just the incredible moment, after all of that calmed down, when did you have that first moment alone with Tiger? Uh, wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, we, we were in the scoring tent for a minute. Um, the guys were waiting on Tiger because he was with the kids and the family and stuff. And then once we got the scorecard squared away, we had a quick, you know, 10 seconds before the green jackets went into the press room. And, you know, he, same thing. He just kind of looked at me, you know, huge smile on his face and just said, you know, we did it again. And he, that's when it kind of sunk in you know, after the scorecard signed and you got a second to relax and you know, we didn't need to say much or do much. We just kind of looked at each other. He did say that, but we didn't need to do anything. We just, it was just so satisfying in that scoring time. There's got to be nothing like that feeling of just that quiet moment of the two of you guys looking at each other, knowing what you accomplished. Look, right after it happened, I went to the caddy area. There were 30 caddies there waiting, and they waited for three hours hoping to see you. When did you finally get back to the caddy shack? And you and I talked about the flag and the flag stick and what happened in 92. Right. Did you take the whole flag stick this time? Did the flag come I got off? the whole. When did you get? I got the did, whole thing, brother. Yes, sir. Yes. Nobody was getting that from me. Uh, and, and I felt so bad. When you sent me that text later, I felt so bad. I, you know, I used to take the phone and put it in a bag, but I got in the habit lately of just putting it in the locker because no phone's there. Yep. Had I known those guys were waiting, which is incredibly cool, I certainly would have gone back there. You know, they blew the horn. I looked for my wife. I couldn't find her. And they said, so then I went to the car. Tiger started to put the bag away because I want to get rid of the bag and get the stick in the car and get that all safe and sound. And then a bunch of guys, all the regular guys on the tour, you know, media-wise, followed me, and we talked at the car for like 45 minutes. And then I saw Tiger's good buddy, Rob, and he says, come on, we're going to the butler cabin. I said, I'm not a butler cabin kind of guy. <laughs> he says, nah, come on over. You know, the crew's there. They want you there. And the other thing, then he was yeah. kind enough to find Megan, my wife. She was in the caddy shack. 
So to be honest with you, I, I, I actually got back to the Caddyshack at 7 o'clock. It was about four or five hours later. Mm. So, Megan, your wife was at the Caddyshack, and we cried together. Yeah, I mean, they had cold beer there. She was fine. (laughs) Yeah, well, that was the thing. And the best part was she had a beer sitting on a chair waiting for you. Well, no, that's right. She's that way. She said she loves you. She had a great time with you. So listen to this. So now now a couple hours later, um, I'm with the entire Nike crew, the family, the whole nine yards, and we're over at the Butler Cabin having a good time drinking a couple beers. And next thing I know, they said, come on, we're going over here. So I don't really know what's going on. I don't, I don't know what over here means. So we go into this room with about 300 people, all members. And they're wearing green jackets and ties, and their wives are in beautiful dresses. And I'm in there at a table in the, with the Tiger crew, which is the one table where Tiger's crew is coming. Because Tiger's going to come in in five minutes and talk to Ridley. And so we've got a crew of about 12 of us at one table. Everybody else has showered, got a jacket on, a tie on. I've got a grungy, sweaty Saquon Barkley T-shirt on. How do you think that scene went over? So, so what did they? What did they do? Were they like, uh, "Sir," or I mean, how did that go over? That's what I was thinking to myself. Are you serious? And they said, "No, no, we really want you in here." I said, "Are you absolutely sure?" I said, "I didn't even, you know, if you, you had told me this is what we were doing, I wouldn't have gone. Not in a bad way. Just I'm not into that kind of stuff." Right. But the people were incredibly nice. And as it turns out, we're in this middle of this room. There's 300 people, and we're at this little table, which is basically in the middle of the room. We're thinking nothing about it against the wall. And then, wouldn't you know it, the little speech, there's a stage about three feet by three feet. You know where the stage was? A foot from my chair. <laughs> it and, was crazy, but and, it was awesome. And Saquon Barkley is well represented. You uh, you mentioned a second ago, you know, it's obviously a play, the only place in America where you can't have a cell phone. When you finally did get to your cell phone, what did your screen look like with text messages? Well, it's funny you say that because I, I, I don't know how to do it, but my daughter walked me through it because she wanted to know. You, you know, you hit like two buttons and you can take a shot of your the screen thing or whatever. Yep, screen grab. Six, right, whatever. I don't know. So she she walked me through that so I could send it to her 674 texts. <laughs> now, listen, trust me, I don't have – you know, I don't have 20 friends. Nobody wants to hang around with me. But, you know, you get you know, one one person is maybe four texts. So they write four different things. But I'm down to like 250 now. So I'm getting after it. I was on a little two-day binge. So it's been a while getting back to some of the people. <laughs> Who was the text message that surprised you the most so far? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I've got a lot of good texts, a lot of great texts. I mean, I can't really single anybody out. But, I mean, I got texts from, you know, I don't want to sound like Joe Star, whatever. But, you know. A lot of great people with a lot of great things to say. Everybody. It was awesome. So no, you, man. Come on. You're not yeah, name dropping. Mike Caddy name drops yeah, all the time. Not, this no, is, no, in I, this I case, I, it's I, not I, a I name drop. People, I don't you know. I mean, I got texts from everybody. I mean, you know, Chris Mara, the, you know, who owns the Giants. I got a text from Swami, who I love. I call him Swami. You know, Chris Berman. Yep. Um, yeah. Everybody. You know, I mean, some some hockey players. Just, you know, fun stuff like that and all that other stuff. I didn't, Nothing from Trump, which I'm a little disappointed, but everything else is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, he's getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom, isn't he? Right. Yeah. How about it, Donnie? How about a little text my way? Hey, if you get if you get invited to that, you can't wear a t shirt and shorts. Well, you never know. That's that's how I go. <laughs> Bruh, caddy. You 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 dress like a caddy. So Right, correct. Okay. I gotta ask you this question too, because this is this is going back a long way to when you guys first got together. I had a conversation with John Wood when Tiger and Stevie first split, and he said if you're going to work for Tiger Woods, you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for the history. Why did you take this gig? Um, 
you know, the simple answer is it's Tiger Woods. I mean, enough said, right? But I mean, I'll expand on that a little bit. I mean, yes. Well, you know, Woods got a little different perspective in the fact that, you know, I'm not in it for the money, but but that is important. I've got a wife and two kids, and I get that. But that's not the reason I signed up. It's Tiger Woods. I've seen the stuff that he's done, he's capable of doing. And I'm even happier now because, you know, when back in Tiger's heyday, a lot of guys, unless you worked for him, namely Steve, didn't know Tiger that well. Right. And I was, I'm, you know, taken back by how, how great a guy he is, how good a heart he has, how good he is with his family and a family guy and stuff like that. So I don't want to say I was pleasantly surprised. I always thought the guy was a decent guy. But, I mean, that was, that was, that was great. And you do take it knowing that you could be part of history with this guy when he gets to 82 and 83 and if he gets to 17, 18, 19 kind of thing. So, you know, those things were definitely in the back of my mind. Um, but I basically at that point just wanted to do it because I think he's the greatest player ever. And Tiger also said at one point when he was shut down, you didn't caddy at all, and there were a bunch of people that were asking you to caddy, but Tiger talked about how you had a conversation with him where he actually broke down because of how much it meant to him that you were not going to caddy for anyone else and you were going to wait for him. What made you decide, you know what, look, you're my guy. I mean, we're both caddy, so we know how that is, but – Right. What made you say to him, you're my guy, I'm not working for anybody else, I'll wait for you as long as it takes? And what did his reaction mean to you? You know, he, he uh, I was never going to leave. And I don't know, you know, people talk about how great of, you know it is that I'm loyal to the guy. You know, I look at, I'm kind of a 180 guy. I look at, I'm a fortunate to be in a spot that I am having the opportunity to work for Tiger. You know, why would I ever, you know, leave him? I'm not a doctor. I don't know if he's going to come back physically or not, but I always had faith in the guy. I knew the guy can play. You don't you don't lose your talent overnight. Mm. If he could physically get better, I was always going to stay because I love the guy. And I got nowhere to go. I mean, you think the young kids of the world want some 55-year-old chop like me canning for him? <laughs> of course not. So, and Tiger and I can relate to that. We have two kids. You know, when he's my age, they'll be the same age as my kids now. So we, we can relate to that stuff. We have a great relationship in terms of that. But, more importantly, he took great care of me the first two years when I worked for him. He's taken great care of me when he was out. Um, and I think maybe it's in my blood. My dad, he literally worked at the same bank for like 30-something years, and my mom taught second grade at the same elementary school in Newtown for 30 years. So maybe there's maybe there's some genes to it, too. I don't know about the loyalty thing. Um, we find something we like, and we just do it, and we love it. And I'm glad I made the decision that I made. That begs the question, what did you do during that time off? Wow. I mean, my goodness, that's a, that's a right. healthy vacation, sir. Joey's handicap had to go down. <laughs> you think there, let me tell you something. There were some dark days in the wintertime up here in Connecticut where I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I think I, you know, I, I didn't become a regular at the Mohican Sun, but I was starting to become a regular. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, Mohican Sun is our, our uh, casino here in Connecticut where you could definitely spin a marble and throw a dice. Right. Not good. Now, the good news for, for people who don't know, um, you and I have always had this uh, caddy yardage book argument. You want to tell everybody <laughs> – the, the beautiful things that, well, they're ugly to me, but the beautiful things that you have in your caddy yardage book? Well, I've got the Who big NY, teams? the New York Giants logo on there with four Super Bowl logos. You now have one, so you're getting close to me, but you're still three behind. Oh, well, here we go. <laughs> yeah, but my team looks closer than your team right now. I hate, I hate to agree with you on that, but I have to agree with you on that. But you know what? we got a nice draft coming up. I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, who do you want the Giants to take? 
know, the Giants' philosophy, as you know, has always been best available player. I think this year we go best available defensive player at six and take the QB at 17. Yeah, you have trade equity. You can also oh. get Josh Rosen out of Arizona if you want him. That's what I'm hearing. Um, but I, and again, I, you know, that's not the bad, not, that wouldn't be the worst thing. He's already got a year under his belt, stuff like that. I mean, I'm not a, you know, I like, I love college football. I don't watch a ton of it, so I'm not a guru on that. I just think, I think at six, we need to be better off with defense in 17 or the trade, like you said, for a quarterback. I think I'd go there. I, look, I don't mind. It's a good philosophy. Um, so what, like, now what? What are you going to do here for the next week or so? Great question. I'm going to see my boys. They're all texting me. We'll probably have some beers later in the week. Maybe I actually might play around the golf if it gets warmer. Oh, boy. Um, but I'm not going to do much. I'll probably come home. My, my daughter's coming home from college on the weekend for uh, Easter, so I'll hang out with her. I'm going to go to the Yankees game on Saturday, and that's about it. Okay. I'm funny that you mentioned the Yankees game, and, and we were talking about you having time off. Because you caddy for Freddie Couples, who's also a huge sports fan, you and we in the golf industry have been lucky to have some serious good hookups to go to games and whatnot. What's the greatest sporting event experience you've gotten to have because you're a caddy and have caddied for Fred Couples and now Tiger Woods? Because you're a guy that doesn't throw that card down, but other people are like, oh, absolutely, we'd love for you to come. Please do. So what's the right. coolest <laughs> experience you've gotten to have? Um, you know, I, well, I can't narrow it down to one. If you got a minute, I'll give you a couple. Yeah, well, as um, long as you want. All right. All right. All right. Um, my, you know, the first one, I'll probably go in order kind of thing. The first one was, um, I'm friends with John Davidson, who at the time was a commentator for the New York Rangers. And I, I, I got lucky enough to get a ticket to, uh, go to the Stanley Cup oh. game five when the Rangers were up, uh, three games to one. And they were down 3 nothing to Vancouver, came back to tie it at 3-3, ended up losing the game, I think, 6-3, and had to go back to Vancouver, lost that game. And then by the time Game 7 rolled around, we were in Pittsburgh for the U.S. Open. This is back in 94. Um, but to go to a Stanley Cup game, even though they lost, with a chance to clinch the Stanley Cup for the first time in 15, 54 years, and when they scored to tie it up at 3-3, I mean, the building was shaking. It was incredible. I mean, just amazing, amazing feeling. I've gone to some World Series games and stuff like that, um, you know, through my connections with the golf world, I'd have to say though that the you know the, the best ones are, you know, the la I went to the last two Super Bowls that the Giants won. Again, through connections through my good friend John Miller at NBC, he hooked me up at the eighteen and O Patriots first Super Bowl with the G Men, and I somehow wormed my way into the Giants after party. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I outlasted. There was at the end of the night. It was four eleven a.m. in the morning. There were two people left in the bar: me and Kawika Mitchell. <laughs> now, just picture the scene here: the two of us. I'm, you know, like ten seats down. Everybody's cleared out by then. I guess he maybe he didn't have family there, or whatever. They all had family. Eventually, went to bed, and so I moved from eleven chairs over to the next chair over to Kawika Mitchell. And I start talking to him, and he's looking at me like, "Who is this?" Who is this chop in the bar celebrating my giant Super Bowl victory with me? Who's this scrawny little white guy hanging out with me in the bar? But we actually had a couple beers together at four eleven in the morning, and that was probably my favorite moment as a huge Giants fan. So who won? Who won the after party on Sunday after the Masters? Who who who's atop that leaderboard? Wow, that's a good question. I um, you know Tiger had his stuff to do and everything else. 
you know, we always have a good time. You know, and, and Mike just said there was 30 guys waiting around. I'm sure they were watching the golf. I don't think they were all waiting around to say hello to me, but I've got a lot of nice texts from my caddy buddies, which is incredible. Um, the funny thing about it is when, when we finish up on Sunday, guys are out of town. They're on to the next event or they're trying to bust their butt to get home and get out of there. So there's not a lot of guys hanging around. So it can be a, certainly not a downer, but it's not the same as guys hanging around. So, I'll probably gather my close friends at some point, maybe at Beth Page in Long Island, and take the guys out to dinner and celebrate then. Because we like to do that as buddies and caddies. We like to have a good time after the fact. But, again, it's tough on a Sunday night. Guys are tired. Guys are exhausted. Guys are in Hilton Head. Guys are home. But I still went out and had a good time. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I was, well, was going to say. say, come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we knew that was coming right there, too. Right. I hung out. Actually, I hung out with the local caddies at Augusta National. We went over to Hooters and had a blast. Really? Yeah. What's it like having a conversation with them? They're the best. I mean, you know, they respect what you do. They all love Tiger. Um, they're fun to be around. They're good guys. Um, you know, some of the guys I pick their brains because they see the golf course every day. Um, and they know, you know, they probably know a lot more than we know. Um, but it's just one of those things where when a guy comes into town, you know, they're comfortable with a regular caddy because the caddying part of it, I think, is actually pretty easy, as Mike will tell you. It's just getting along with the guy and having the personalities that match that are a big part of the caddy player relationship. So I think, you know, like I said, I think those guys are probably more knowledgeable than we are, or I, certainly than I am. But, you know, guys want to be comfortable with their own guy. Brother, tell Megan uh, I'm still a little mad at her for making me cry. Um, and I'm sure you cried some tears with her, too, because she talked about what you guys went through. Well, I'm going to spin it forward now which stinks because we're so close to this amazing victory that you got to have. Uh, Beth Page is next. <laughs> and everybody and their cousin is going to be talking about the success that Tiger had and he's won there before and Pebble Beach coming up. How are you going to go do what you said to him on Sunday in the weeks leading up to the PGA and the U.S. Open this year at Pebble and be like, Hey man, let's just relax. Take it easy. I know the pressure that's there, but how are you going to do that? Well, that's a great question. I mean, and we'll probably have a similar conversation that we did on Sunday before we teed off at Augusta. But here's the deal: now that he's broken through and won a major, I'd like to think there's going to be less heat on him personally because he realizes he can actually get it done, and he got it done. Mm. But having said that, if I feel like if, if I read him and feel like he's putting too much heat on himself, I'll step there, step in there, and say something. But, again, I think less will be have to be said based on the fact that he already won, just won a major. He knows he's playing well. Um, so I think it'll be a little easier. I think the heat's off him now. I'm not saying he's going to be there and it's going to be a piece of cake and he's the favorite and he should win all that stuff. No, of course not. you got a lot of great guys playing great golf. But he also knows that. He also knows he's going to have to continue to work hard at it. It's not just going to happen because he won the Masters. And he's well aware of that. So I don't think that'll be an issue. Fast forward now. Let's go a couple of years into the future, and I'm tasking you, Joey, with the with the task of writing a headline for what this victory this week meant to you and how you remember it. What would you write? Uh, just just the fact that you know, like I said, I, I I feel very fortunate to be in the situation I am, and then you know, I've gotten so many texts about people saying, you know, the greatest comeback in sports history ever. You know, guys are crying, guys are bawling, stuff like that. Um, just to be a very small part of that, you know, is amazing. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't sink in. You got to sit back and like I said, maybe a couple of years from now, I'll realize how fortunate I am or was, um, just sitting here talking to you guys, you know, looking at the flag. I mean, it's just an incredible feeling. I mean, it's amazing. Um, so 
swallow it back and just say, you know, wow, can you believe I was a part of this big comeback? And, you know, 11 years later, he won a major, probably his favorite major um, at his favorite spot. And he, he came out and he won the tournament. Yeah, some guys had some trouble finishing, but he put some heat on. He played, you know, basically flawless golf from 11 through 18 on Sunday uh, and got the job done. It was just incredible. Brother, I can't thank you enough for just hanging out with us for a little while and giving us some of the stories and everything that happened at Augusta this weekend and before. Is there anything that you think people should know before we let you go about being Tiger Woods' caddy that might surprise people? Um, just how low-maintenance the guy is. Um, you know, he, he, for a guy like this in this spot, like, he doesn't need much. He doesn't need any babysitting, so on and so forth. He's not demanding or anything like that. He's really just one of the guys, but people, you know, don't see that because he can't really cut loose or let loose because there's so much scrutiny and so much going on around him. But I mean, he's just—you've been around him enough, and you've been around him in the atmosphere. You know that. I mean, he's just one of the guys, and he just wants to be one of the guys. If he could do that the rest of his life, he'd be—he'd be the happiest guy in the world. Yeah, we seem to goof off a whole bunch when we're on the golf course. At least that's what I mean. Yeah, he—he yeah. he enjoys himself. People don't always see that side of him, but he's actually having a good time out there. Actually, there's one thing that I got to ask you about too. Um, because everyone has been talking about this, the gum. What's the deal? Like him and Phil Mickelson, yeah, gum are was chewing like this gum. Like, like it was crazy about this gum. Which I will say, never seen Tiger chew gum in a major before. What was the gum, dude? You know, it's a great question. Megan, my wife again was asking me Saturday night, "What's with the gum?" I said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Well, you know he's chewing gum out there." I said, "Well, yeah, no, he's chewing gum. I'm standing a foot from him." <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, "But you know what? It's funny because it's like I don't ask. I don't know what it is. I don't know why he's doing it. I don't care. I, but people just get fascinated, caught up with this stuff. Even my like daughter will say, "Oh yeah, this happened. This happened." I said, "Oh, I didn't know that. I don't read anything. I don't know anything. I don't even know how to get on the internet. I mean, I don't know what's going on." Uh, and I'm not bailing on you guys. I have no, no idea what the gum's called, and I don't know why he's chewing it. Did did you, I know you're telling the truth, man? I know you are. Did you yeah. have a conversation about him going circa '05 with the mock turtlenecks all week? Did you at least give give him some for that? <laughs> you know what I did say? I said, "Boy, I like the shirt Rory's wearing today." <laughs> <laughs> and did you see the security guard that almost took your boy oh. out? Have you at least seen him and hugged him and been like, "Hey, man, it's all good." I felt I felt awful for the poor guy. He's trying to do his job. He <laughs> busts his butt to get up there. Slides on the mud. I mean, yeah, could have, we can laugh about it now, right? But it could have been it could have been pretty ugly. Here's the deal, you know. And then, of course, Tiger's getting crap on the range the next day, and they say, "I'm not a soccer guy. I don't call it yellow card or red card, but." They're all giving Tiger the yellow card or the red card for faking the injury. <laughs> yeah, the old soccer flop. Well, because because right. he told you too, it was his knee, and we're no man. He hit your ankle. No, it was my knee. Yeah, no, what? we talked about it that afternoon. But I, he did make contact with the ankle. But I did think it twisted the knee. And the thing it is, uh, you know, we all like to rough him up about faking it. I think what you know, he's had knee problems in the past. So I'm sure there was a little bit of a moment there where it felt a little little funny. But it, all in all, he was fine and scared the heck out of everybody. Oh, of course, no question. And poor guy would have felt awful if something really bad happened. Yeah, I mean, that guy was all over the Internet for the wrong reasons, but thankfully nothing right. happened, and we got to live to see one of the great sports stories of all time. Uh, Joe LaCava, so so much, so much grateful for you hopping on with us, having some fun with us. Our apologies that our course is out here. We're, we're still a little bit in yellow grass season out here. Eventually, uh, we'll get green and, and perhaps get out there and sling the ball around. I'd love to do it. That sounds like a plan, guys. Love you, brother. When I see you, I'm going to hug you big time, brother, just so you know. You got it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Joe.
Thanks for listening to Maddie and the Caddy. Check out more great ESPN podcasts in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Maddie and the Caddy.